Welcome especially to those of you at the Franklin campus. Love you so much. It is always my privilege to preach for the Lord and also in a very real way to preach for you all. I love you so much. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 14, go all the way down into chapter 7 verse 1. This is the final message in a sermon series entitled Promises to Keep. We've been talking about marriage. Marriage is, of course, when it boils down to it, the, the keeping of a covenant, the keeping of promises. As a married couple, you made promises to one another. It may have been just a few months ago. It may have been years ago. It, it really doesn't matter. You made promises, and you promised to keep those for life. These are promises to keep for life. We talked about the first promise of marriage, which is the promise of priority next to Christ. You say to your spouse, you are my highest priority. Second promise is the promise of pursuit. I will pursue you always. Third promise, last week, the promise of partnership. Uh, you and I will always be partners, covenant partners in Christ. And then this morning, the last of these, the promise of purity. I will love you with the purity of Christ I will love you with the purity of Christ. I want us to think about purity this morning. Now, often when we say purity, we think simply in terms of sexual things. That's all you people think about is sex. I'm kidding. Uh, usually we think about purity in terms of sexual purity, but I want to broaden uh, your idea of purity this morning. It, it is definitely marital uh, sexual purity, but it's so much more than that purity is. And also, I really want you to connect with the fact that when it comes to satisfaction in your marriage, when it comes to satisfaction, it is the purity of your love, the purity of the relationship that's going to make the biggest difference in terms of your satisfaction. Your shared aim as a married couple is to protect and preserve the purity of your relationship. With that said, let's turn right to Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 into chapter 7. This first verse is, is often quoted. New Living Translation says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. You've probably heard it translated, uh, be not uh, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But the best translation of that word there would be mismated. Don't be mismated with those who are unbelievers. In other words, in marriage or actually in any other part of your life, you do not form a partnership, any sort of covenant partnership with unbelievers because purity is at stake. Listen to what the scripture says. Don't be mismated with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or our spirit, and let us work together toward complete holiness because we fear God. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work together toward complete holiness because we 
fear God. I met a guy at Mancino's a couple of weeks ago. I love that place. Anybody eat at Mancino's restaurant in Bowling Green? It's awesome, really good. I love their sandwiches. They're called grinders. I don't really know what that means, but they're grinders. Uh, They're enormous, just enormous. You order a half a sandwich because if you order a whole sandwich, it comes on two plates. So you get a half a sandwich, these enormous pieces of, of baked cheese toast. I always get a turkey, man, all oh, that sliced turkey on there, uh, the lettuce, oh my goodness, that pickle on the side. I, I love this place. So I, I told the guy, let's meet at Mancino's. That's where we met. I, I ordered my turkey grinder. We went and sat down. I had a bag of chips. He had a bag of chips. We got our drinks. We were sitting there. Uh, the server came out with our food. He brought me my sandwich, my grinder. He put it in front of me. I'm telling you, this thing is glorious. When they first bring it to you, they still leave it open. It's laid open there so you can see it in all of its glory just laid open waiting for you and that's the point where we were my sandwich was laying open sitting in front of me and the guy across from me was sitting right there with his sandwich and he started to talk have you all ever seen a person who spits when they talk well I put my sandwich out again it was still open and the guy said preacher I just wanted to ask you to please pray and when he said preacher Please pray. I'm telling you, I, I saw these, these three little wet pieces come out of his mouth and land right on my sandwich. I mean, he nailed it three times. Please, preacher, please pray. Boo, boo, boo. I just saw it. I just saw it. Little wet pieces on my sandwich. I mean, he just nailed it. I couldn't spit on your sandwich if I tried to and hit it like, I mean, if this were an Olympic event, he'd be a gold medalist. Boom, boom, boom. So I'm just looking at my sandwich and looking at him still talking, and, and, and all of the feelings of desire I once had for my sandwich were just gone, just, just gone. Now my sandwich was not appealing to me, and it had nothing to do with any kind of flaws in the sandwich itself. The, the problem is it had become polluted, you understand? It had become polluted, unappetizing, repellent. The, the dude spit on my sandwich. And after that, it was just not the same. It was not the same. Which is the phrase that I hear so often with couples who come into my office or come to me for for help. They'll tell me that the marriage is just not the same. That's the kind of phrase that they use. Now, every new couple, if if it's a a couple I'm talking before they get married and ask him to describe the relationship or ask the woman to describe her her guy, she'll always describe him in the most wonderful, glowing terms. Oh, I just love him. He is the greatest guy, she'll say. He's just the greatest guy. He says that all the songs on the beaver remind him of me. He is so sweet, and and he's thoughtful, and I just love him so much. And this same woman, a few years later, can be sitting in my office, the same woman who was saying, he's the greatest guy. We can complete each other's sentences, all of that, and give it a couple of years. And then she'll be sitting in my office saying, I I don't know, Brother Tim, I I probably still love him, but it's just not the same. It's, It's not the same as it was. You experienced that in marriage or in relationships. You ever experienced that uh, that phenomenon of how it starts out so pure and wonderful, and then somehow give it some time, and it's not the same. What happens? What happens? 
What happens is that in human relationships over time, our love tends to get watered down. It becomes diluted. It loses its purity. I want you to understand this. Over time in human relationships, our love loses its purity. It becomes diluted. Now, this is not because of the nature of love. It's not because of some flaw in love. Love is from God. All love is from God. And God himself is holy, and God himself is pure, and the love that God puts in our hearts is pure. It's not because of some flaw in love itself. The flaw is in us. We are human beings. We are sinful, and we do not tend toward purity. We tend toward impurity. And because we tend toward impurity, our relationships will tend toward a gradual kind of separateness. Over time, because we're humans, and because we tend toward impurity, Our relationships tend toward a gradual kind of separateness. Over time, given two people, two perfect people, as you probably were when you got married, give it some time, and if you just let things go, gradually your relationship will begin to separate. It's because of purity, the loss of purity. Your shared aim as a husband and wife is to preserve the purity of your relationship, the the purity of your love. Now, this is part of why in Scripture it says right from the first, don't be mismated. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, when you're dating, when you're looking for a, for a mate, do not look among unbelievers. Now, I know that that guy is so cool and he's so handsome and he seems like a wonderful guy for you. But if he does not share your faith, he is not the man for you. If that woman you're so attracted to does not love God the way you love God, she's not the woman for you. Do not be mismated with unbelievers. It's what the scripture says. The scripture says that because in marriage, you're supposed to love each other with the very purity of Christ. And you can't have the purity of Christ. You can't love with the purity of Christ if you don't know Christ. And if your mate doesn't know Christ or doesn't love Christ, he or she can't love you with the purity of Christ. That's why scripture says, don't do it. From the very beginning, do not become mated with one who does not share your faith. Do not become mismated with those who are unbelievers. Because God's aim in your marriage is holiness. God intends that you love each other with the very purity of Christ. So at least start out on the same page. Start out with two people who both know Christ, love Christ, and aim to become like Christ. That's what marriage is for. Brother Tim, you don't understand. Obviously, Brother Tim, we got some miscommunication here. You don't understand because we don't know a lot about purity in my house. And I get that. I understand. Some of you already experience every day that that tendency toward gradual separateness. I I get that. And some of you would say, Brother Tim, you don't understand. From day one, from day one we struggled. From day one, our marriage already seemed to tend toward separateness. We've always struggled. I get that. I understand that. Because honestly, that purity, that ability to love with the purity of Christ, that's not in me, and it's not in you, and I don't have to tell you, it is not in your spouse. It's not in us. 
We do not know perfect purity. That only comes from Christ. And so when it comes to marriage, from the very beginning, already our relationship is going to be polluted. It's already a little bit stained. It's already mixed up with things that could ruin it from the very beginning. And so the kind of purity that we're going to know on this side of heaven is what I would call a sifted purity. Sifted. What is sifting? Anybody tell me, can you tell me what the word sifting means? What's to sift? Yeah, to to separate, to, to separate, to sift. It means to put it through a filter so you can take out the things that don't belong. And this is what happens in our marriages, in our love. We tend to have it mixed up eventually with things that would weaken or ruin our relationship. Your aim as a married couple is purity. Therefore, every single day, perhaps every moment of every single day, you've got to be sifting. You've got to be trying to remove all of the things in your relationship that do not belong there. You have to sift those things out. It's like what chapter 7 verse 1 says. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work together toward complete holiness. We have to cleanse ourselves. We have to work toward complete holiness. We have to cleanse. In other words, we have to remove the impurities. We have to somehow get rid of all of the things that don't belong between us. These are the things that drive a wedge. These are the things that cause us to begin to move toward separateness. So what kinds of things should you be working on? What kinds of things should you be sifting out of your relationship every day? I'll give you three. Write these down. Write these down. Number one, in cleansing your marriage and working toward holiness together, you must remove every hint of secrecy. Every hint of secrecy. In other words, when it comes to your spouse, you should be able to say to her, darling, I will never have anything to hide from you. Honey, I will never have anything to hide from you. I will always live honestly with you. I will never lie to you. I will never keep secrets from you. I am never going to have anything to hide from you. You need to remove every single hint of secrecy. Right now, sitting here, some of you have secrets in your marriage. You have things that you're keeping from your spouse. And I'm telling you, these are poison to your marriage. These are the very kinds of things that are driving you apart, whether you've understood it or not. You've got to get rid of the secrets. You can't keep secrets from one another. What kind of secrets are you talking about, Brother Tim? Well, just any kind you can name. Any kind of secret you can name. That's what I'm talking about. In other words... You aren't supposed to have a secret credit card or a secret bank account. Are you listening to me? You are not supposed to have financial secrets. You're not supposed to make secret purchases and then you never tell your spouse you try to hide it or pull it out two weeks later like you've had it all along. Do you understand? You don't keep secrets. You don't keep financial secrets. And some of you do this. Some of you do this. You have a credit card right now that your spouse doesn't know about. You might even have it sent to somebody else's house. You may have to break your neck to make sure you get to the mailbox first every day. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with your marriage when you keep secrets like that. Any kind of secret you can name. 
Some of you have uh, internet secrets. You have secret habits on the internet, and you want to make sure your wife never finds out about this, don't you? You're one of these guys who's become very, very good at clearing the history on your computer every time you sign off, and you have to. Because you are really, really afraid that if your wife found out what you do on the computer, there'd be trouble. I'm telling you, sir, there's already trouble. The fact that you feel like you have to keep certain things secret from your wife, you have trouble. Whenever you have secrets, they cause separateness. They always do. Your secrets are making your marriage sick. You've got to remove every single hint of secrecy. You can't have secret friends, secret relationships. You can't have a secret email account so that you can get messages from somebody your husband or wife doesn't know about. You can't do that. You can't send text messages that you wouldn't want your spouse to read. You can't do that. You cannot have secrets. This destroys your marriage. And to the extent right now that you have yourself invested in keeping secrets from your spouse, you're killing your marriage. Don't be surprised when sooner or later you come back and say, Brother Tim, it's just not what it used to be. Of course it's not. You're polluting it. You are introducing things into your relationship that have no place in a marriage relationship. If it's a secret, it's wrong. Unless you're shopping for diamond rings to surprise her. You understand? It's wrong. If you feel compelled to keep it private from your spouse, it's wrong. I dare you today to come clean. No, I don't dare you. I beg you to come clean. I beg you to go to her and just tell her what you've been keeping from her. I beg you to go to your husband and come clean before him. Confess your secrets. Get it out in the open. It's going to destroy your union. This man was this close to proposing to his girl, but something just held him back. Something about committing himself to her just continued to, to, to hold him back, and he just could not take that final step. And then finally one night, he realized what it was. He knew what he had to do. And so he sat her down, and he said, Honey, I, I love you more than I loved anybody in my life, but I feel like there's no way our relationship can move forward as long as I am keeping things from you. I'm keeping secrets from you, and I just need to tell you everything. And he did. Right there, that night, he just told her everything. He told her everything he had been so afraid she'd find out. He told her about his jealousies. He told her about his history with money. He told her about his history with sex. He told her about how the way he felt like his anger had destroyed previous relationships. He told her everything, and he talked to her, and he couldn't even look her in the face. But here's the thing. The whole time he talked to her, she never took her eyes off him. And when he was finished, she said to him, I've never loved you as much as I love you right now. You think that's not how it is? Because here's the thing. As long as you keep these things back from her, as long as you keep your secrets from him, even though your spouse tells you that she loves you, 
you can't really accept that. You can't receive her love because deep down in the back of your mind, you're thinking, if she really knew, if she knew what I'm keeping from her, if she really knew what I'm doing, she would not love me. Do you understand how that works? Your secrets build a wall between you. They kill your intimacy. There's no way to receive love from a person that you're keeping secrets from because you can't stop thinking, if he only knew, he would not love me. That's why it's so important to have a completely open heart, a completely open marriage where there are no secrets. In other words, let's, let's just be very, very plain about it. You can look at the bank statement anytime you want to. You can look at the checkbook anytime you want to. I don't care if you pick up my cell phone and you look at my, 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 my text messages. I don't care. I'm not hiding anything from my wife. Do you understand? This is the kind of marriage you've got to have. It doesn't matter if, if she looks at your cell phone, and it's not going to matter if she looks at your email. It just doesn't even matter. Why don't you just give each other all the passwords? Why don't you just open it up? There's nothing to hide when you are loving each other with the purity of Christ. And until you get to that place where you're holding nothing back, you will never, ever know the purity of love. As long as you're continuing to think, if he only knew, if she ever finds out, as long as that's in your heart, you're never going to know how deeply you can be in love with a person, even your own spouse. You got to remove, you got to sift out every single hint of secrecy in order to love with the purity of Christ. Every hint of secrecy. Number two, I want you to sift out every single grain of unfaithfulness. Any kind of unfaithfulness, any grain of unfaithfulness. I'm not just talking about sexual unfaithfulness, but I definitely am talking about that. Do you understand? Faithfulness is such a wonderful treasure in marriage faithfulness. Faithfulness is just that promise to stand beside and to stay with no matter the circumstances of our lives. Faithfulness is that kind of costly care that we invest in, in our spouse. I will do anything for my wife, anything for the husband, anything at all I, I can do for you. I will be so faithful to you. That means you can always count on me. You can count on me to keep my promises, the big promises, the little promises. If I say I'll be home for supper at 5.30, I ought to be home for supper at 5.30. That, my friend, is faithfulness. If I say I'm going on this business trip and you can trust me, then you need to be able to trust me. It's called faithfulness. Faithfulness. My wife, your husband should be able to trust every word out of your mouth, everything that you would do with your hands, any place your feet would go. You've got to be utterly, utterly faithful to one another. You've got to remove from your relationship every single grain of unfaithfulness. Any part of your mind that would go in a different direction, you've got to root that waywardness out of your mind. Any part of your heart that would lie to your spouse or cheat on your spouse, you've got to root that sin out of your heart. It's going to destroy you. I'm telling you, we don't have purity in our hearts apart from Christ. That's why relationships tend towards separateness, but this is how it happens. This is how it begins. You just simply let the little bitty problems, the little bitty grains begin to add up. The small traces of unfaithfulness. I've been your pastor for 14 years, and honestly, I've talked to a lot of couples in and out of this church in 14 years. I've talked to a number of couples whose marriages were collapsing. It always breaks my heart. 
always breaks my heart. I've been doing weddings now for 14 years, and I've done a lot of weddings now. And I'm telling you, in 14 years, about a third of the couples that I have pronounced husband and wife have turned around and divorced. About a third of them. It, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that I continue to mark their anniversaries, and many of them don't. You understand? It breaks my heart. But anytime a couple comes in and the marriage is in trouble, it is hardly ever an enormous implosion. It's hardly ever a gigantic revelation or some sort of horrible event that kills the marriage. It hardly ever happens like that. For the most part, by the time the couple comes in for help, it's not that there's been some giant implosion. Instead, it's probably a mountain of little bitty things, a mountain of little bitty Traces of unfaithfulness, little bitty promises broken, little bitty moments of selfishness, and little bitty moments where you did not think of the other one first. And the marriage doesn't collapse because of some enormous weight that falls on it suddenly. The marriage collapses over the weight of tiny little grains of unfaithfulness that accumulate over the years, over the weeks. Sometimes by the day. If you root them out one at a time while they're still small, you can do this. And you can have the marriage of your dreams. You can love each other with the purity of Christ when daily you keep coming back and sifting out every single trace of unfaithfulness. You keep every promise. You be utterly faithful to your spouse in everything you say, in everything you think, in everything you do. Every single grain of unfaithfulness sifted out now. And the last one is so important. I'm begging you to remove every trace of unforgiveness. Every trace of unforgiveness. Brother Tim, you don't understand what my spouse has done to me. I'm, I'm sure that I don't, but I understand this much. Nothing's going to undo it. Whatever she's done, nothing is going to unscramble the egg now. It, it's done. Whatever he said, there's no way in the world he can unsay that now. What is done is done, and it's also in the past. But you have a decision to make in Christ. You have a decision to make as to whether or not what's in the past is going to continue to travel with you into the future. I, I promise you, there is absolutely no way to live with one person in love for a lifetime unless you both know how to forgive. Because forgiveness is the only way, it's the only path that's going to take me from where I am now in the present to the future. It's the only way I can somehow become shed of everything that's traveling with me from the past. I've got to forgive. When my wife says something that hurts my feelings or when your husband says something or does something that breaks your heart, you're going to have to forgive. Forgiveness is the only way, the absolute only way that your marriage can last. That means daily before the sun goes down, you put these things away. Of course it's hard. If it were easy, everybody would do it. It takes the very power and miraculous moving of Christ in your lives to forgive like this. But you've got to forgive. Some of you sitting right here in these campuses this morning, some of you listening to this sermon right now, you are sitting there and your heart is filled with bitterness toward your spouse 
You can rehearse everything he's ever done. You can recount everything she's ever done to hurt you. And it may have started on the wedding day. And I've known couples that started on the wedding day. I knew a couple that got in their first fight while they were walking down the aisle leaving their wedding ceremony. Got in a fight on the way down the aisle. I watched it happen. And you got to let it go. You've got to forgive. Sooner or later, you ought to wear yourself out from bringing it up. Sooner or later, aren't you just absolutely exhausted from carrying this every day? You've got to lay it down. The more of these little traces of unforgiveness that pile up sooner or later, there will be such a mountain before you that you'll just simply rather walk away from this marriage rather than do what needs to be done to repair it. you got to do it along the way. A woman was actually in for a job interview. She sat down at a desk of a woman, and she was trying to break the ice and, and make some conversations. So she said, wow, that must be a picture of your husband. That's a, that's a beautiful picture. And the woman stopped. The, the woman who was doing the interview, she just stopped, and she looked at the picture of her husband. And she looked at it for a long, awkward moment. And she said, I appreciate that you say when you look at that picture of my husband that, that you see a nice picture. It, it is a nice picture. She said, but when you look at that picture, you just see a picture. When I look at this photograph, I remember that it was taken right after I cheated on him. I cheated on that man on a business trip. And when I came back, I told him what I had done, and I was certain that my life was over. But he forgave me. He forgave me. So when you look at this frame, you see a nice picture, but, but when I look at this frame, I see my whole life given back to me. It, it's called forgiveness, and you have to do it. It doesn't really matter what she's done, what he's done. You've got to forgive. You've got to put it away. Your past cannot continue to determine the kind of future you have together. You've got to forgive. Because we're talking about loving each other with the very purity of Christ. And the purity is really not something that belongs to us. That's why it's so hard for us to maintain it. That's why every single day, every single week, every month, as all the years go by, we have to sift all of the things that do not belong in our marriage. We have to. Because before long, if we don't, the whole marriage becomes so polluted that we look at our marriage, and although there really aren't any flaws in the marriage itself, there's something about it that sort of turns us off now. We know it's not the same. And it's not because of something so wrong in the marriage. It's simply that you've allowed so much to accumulate, so much junk, so much that has polluted and threatened the purity of what you're supposed to have together. When we talk about purity, we're really talking about tending to the soul of your marriage. The very soul, the very heart of your marriage. That's why your satisfaction, your real happiness together comes down to your aim in, in keeping your, your relationship pure. So when you talk about tending the soul of the marriage and understand it has everything to do with the way that you love one another, but more importantly, the way that you learn to love Christ. 
Too many people think that marriage is somehow about two people who gaze at one another with googly eyes, who gaze at one another through the years and continue to look at each other lovingly. I'm telling you, marriage is not about two people who learn to gaze at one another. Marriage is about two people who learn to gaze at Christ who fix their eyes on Christ. And when you have a husband and a wife, both of whom spend their lives gazing at Christ, this is going to be two people who are going to find themselves very, very happy in their marriage. But I remind you, happiness is not the goal. Happiness is not your goal. Holiness is your goal. What does the scripture say? Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work together toward complete holiness because we fear God. The aim of your marriage is that the two of you become more like Christ. You're becoming more like Christ every single day and your spouse, your mate, is the one God has chosen to help you become more like Christ. You wonder why that woman tries your patience so much? Because, buddy, you need patience. You want to know why this man continues to try your ability to forgive? Because, honey, you've got to learn to forgive to be like Christ. The aim is to become like Christ. So truly, to strengthen your marriage, it has so much to do with worshiping together and praying together. Have you ever even prayed with your spouse What's wrong with you? Have you never even heard that man's praying voice? I say this to couples all the time. I'm telling you, prayer is such a powerful kind of intimacy, a powerful kind of bonding. And the most beautiful sound in all of the world for me is the sound of my wife's praying voice. It's a different voice. I'm not saying that she prays, dear Lord. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that when my wife addresses God in my hearing, it is the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. Do you know the sound of your mate's praying voice? If you don't, you're heading in the wrong direction. Worship together, pray together, serve God together. I think the real test of any marriage is simply the answer to the question, do I serve God more faithfully, more joyfully with her than I would without her? You're contemplating marriage, ask yourself that question. Do I serve God more joyfully, more completely, more fully with him than I would without him? Because if you are mated together in the way God wants to bring it together, I'm telling you, you will serve him together in the most powerful way. Because your aim is holiness. Your aim is to become more like Christ. Lots and lots of couples are thinking that somehow marriage is about happiness, being happy together. So they invest everything in trying to seek happiness. I'm telling you, if you seek happiness before you seek holiness, you will not find happiness. But if you seek holiness before you seek happiness, you will find both. Holiness and happiness together. You made promises to one another. One of your promises should have been to love each other with purity, the very purity of Christ. Make that promise now. Keep it. Let's pray together. If you're blessed to be sitting by your spouse in this moment, join hands with her, with him, will you please? If you're sitting by your spouse, join hands. And let's pray. 
Oh God, truly you alone are holy. Only you have perfect love, pure love. But God, for all of us who believe in you and all of us who trust in you and open our hearts to you, Lord, you will pour that perfect love into our hearts. God, I pray for marriages. I pray for the couple sitting right here, Lord, in this house and at Franklin. Hands joined. God, some of them join hands so gladly and so warmly, Lord. They love the feeling of the touch of the fingers of the one they love so much, Lord. It's just a celebration of everything that they enjoy and everything that they have together, Lord. And they have such holiness and happiness together, Lord. Bless them. Bless them, Lord, that they might always preserve the purity of what they enjoy today through you. But, Lord, there are couples who either refuse to join hands in this moment Or they've taken hands, but it does not feel like it used to. It does not feel right. Because even though they can join hands, their hearts are now very, very separate and far away. God, I pray that you would give couples courage, Lord, to expose their secrets. And courage, Lord, and strength to forgive and forgive and forgive. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the character the perseverance it takes to remain faithful day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, just like they promised, Lord Jesus. As couples across this auditorium join hands, Lord, I pray that you would be joining hearts in a powerful way, in a loving way, that we might learn to be more like you, more holy, love each other more purely, and somehow, Lord, because of you, find real happiness together. Lord, I pray that you would repair everything broken in the marriages in this house. Help us, Lord, once more to remember what it's like to love even as you love us. We pray these things for the sake of Christ. Amen. I don't know how the Lord's speaking to your heart. I I never know, but I know he speaks. And I know if you are listening, you will hear his voice in this very moment. And whatever he asks you to do, I encourage you to obey him. The altar's open. Maybe you need to come forward with your spouse and once more renew a vow to purity, to faithfulness. Renew a vow to pursuit and to priority. Why don't you come and make a fresh promise to love that man, to love that woman the way Christ wants you to love one another. Maybe there's something else altogether in your heart and you wish simply to come forward and pray. The altar's open. If you have a public decision to make, I'm at the front to receive you. Simply do not leave this place without making peace with the Lord in your own heart. Stand together. Let's sing.